This is a Federal News Network podcast. Defense officials are expected to decide within the next few days whether to make COVID-19 vaccines mandatory for members of the military. The impending decision follows President Biden's order last week requiring shots or testing for all federal employees. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has the final call, but at least one senior DOD medical official says he's all for mandatory vaccination. Rear Admiral Bruce Gillingham is the Navy's Surgeon General. He spoke with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu about what his service is seeing from the Delta variant. Delta is a concern. Uh, It's demonstrated that it's about three times more infectious than the original strain of COVID. Uh, But the good news is that if you're vaccinated, although there have been rare breakthrough infections, in fact, those individuals rarely require hospitalization, as opposed to the unvaccinated, uh, in whom many different very serious medical conditions can occur. In the general population, of course, we have seen some of those breakthrough uh, infections among the vaccinated. How, how much of that are you seeing in your relatively younger population? Yeah, thank you. We're, we're actually seeing a very low number of breakthrough infections. Um, and the, fur- you know, the, the further out from getting the vaccine, the less likely it is that you're going to re- have a breakthrough infection in our population. The, the fact that it, Delta is presenting a new concern, is that weighing at all on any policy decisions we might be seeing as far as mandatory vaccination while we're still in an EUA phase? Yeah, that's a great question. Of course, not my decision to make, uh, but we are seeing an uptick in cases that mirrors that what we're seeing nationally. And it makes sense to me that since we have such a safe and effective tool against the the variant, uh, to to the virus in general, that we do move out as quickly as possible to make it mandatory. Are, are you managing things in those shipboard environments in any different way during this Delta surge than you did perhaps in the early parts of 2000? Or is it just a different ballgame because you have such a high level of vaccination? Well, I think, uh, I think we are continuing to emphasize how important it is for the crew to get vaccinated. Uh, and those who aren't vaccinated, uh, very following very strict non-pharmaceutical interventions, mask wear, social distancing, hand washing, uh, avoidance of those who, who are infected. So, yeah, no, we, we're keeping the press on. In fact, I think we've redoubled our efforts because of the severity of the Delta variant. And just big picture, knowing what you know now about how this particular disease behaved, what lessons would you carry forward into how you would manage illness on, on board a ship, let's say, the next time we have one of these? Because we're probably going to have another one of these, right? Well, we've already incorporated a lot of the lessons learned. So we're, we're working on establishing testing capability across the fleet. Uh, we, uh, you know, I think we'll pay very close attention to, to those who appear with, in this case, respiratory uh, symptoms. I think we'll be much more inclined to do isolation and quarantine uh, until we sort out whether it truly is a highly communicable, uh, you know, virus or, or disease. So I think it's, it's vigilance. I think it's attention to the basics. And in addition, really thinking about uh, what technology can we have aboard that will allow us to make, you know, a, a, mo- a molecular diagnosis early? Has any of that been deployed or still working on that? I'm still working on it, but we actually, that's really was really one of the success factors for us is our uh, four deployed preventive medicine units took state-of-the-art equipment out aboard ship and were able to do the initial diagnosis uh, and, and confirm that, in fact, we were dealing with SARS-CoV-2, the virus behind COVID-19, and that we had to take uh, significant measures against it. 
And what, about what is your vaccination rate at this point? Yeah, we're, we're above 70% in the, in the Navy. Uh, not, you know, I continue, as I said, to keep the press on. We know that the higher the vaccination rate, the less likely that the virus will transmit uh, and the more likely we'll be able to stay on station defending our country. That's Rear Admiral Bruce Gillingham, the Navy Surgeon General, talking with me at the Navy League's annual Sea Air Space Conference in National Harbor, Maryland this week. DOD statistics do suggest there has been an increase in infections that's coincided with the rise of the Delta variant in the general population. As of Wednesday, the Navy reported a cumulative total of just over 41,000 cases in its uniformed ranks since the start of the pandemic. That figure reflects almost 1,900 new cases in the past month. In the prior month, the Navy only had about 400 new cases. The broader military also shows signs of an upswing in cases. Across all the services, there were more than 10,000 new cases over the past month, compared to about 7,500 in the previous month. However, severe cases amongst military members have stayed fairly low. Throughout the pandemic, only 1,900 cases have led to hospitalization, and only two of the military's cases have proved fatal in the past month for a total of 28 deaths since the start of the pandemic. But the increase will likely play a role in the presidential recommendation Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin will need to make about whether to make vaccines mandatory, even while they're still being administered under an FDA emergency use authorization. Speaking to reporters on Tuesday, Pentagon spokesman John Kirby said that decision will happen very soon. He's not going to let grass grow under his feet, so I think we'll have more to say in, in very short order here. But uh, but as of today, I don't have uh, an additional update with respect to a decision to move forward about making the vaccines mandatory. The secretary obviously wants to consult medical professionals as well as the services. Uh, the way the process works is he would have to request a, a waiver from the president to waive the emergency youth authorization as the justification for making him voluntary. And of course, the legal calculus becomes a lot simpler if and when the FDA issues a full authorization for one or more of the COVID vaccines. Under those circumstances, it would be much more straightforward for DOD to simply add coronavirus inoculation to the list of vaccines that are already required for military service, including annual flu vaccines. And Lieutenant General Ronald Place, the director of the Defense Health Agency, says annual influenza is probably the right way to think of COVID from now on, an endemic disease that's going to have to be managed via vaccinations for a long time to come. I don't see COVID as a thing that's going to go away or coronaviruses. I, I actually see it sticking around and continuing to mutate and, and we're going to have to deal with it. And the great thing about ingenuity, the reasons that we have such good vaccines, a suite of vaccines right now, isn't because the magical thinking happened by some manufacturers in the spring of 2020. This is based on years, in some cases more than a decade of research, and how to take the vaccination methodology to a new level. And so whether it's mRNA or nanoparticle or whatever it is, there is huge improvements in the way that we're looking at at how vaccines work. And, and I believe that we will get to a place where we're not talking about COVID all the time. And we're not worried about how is COVID affecting this, that, or the other thing. That likely that will be in the relatively near future, but not this week, not this month, and maybe not even this year. But we will get to a place where it's gonna be another infectious disease that we worry about and we think about, much like influenza or measles or uh, tetanus or another thing that, yeah, yeah, okay, all right, I'll get my vaccination. It's going to be part of our reality for a long time. In National Harbor, Maryland, Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.
Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used 
that you use to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants 
as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.